Hello, my name is Alan Knapp, and I'm an editor for Functional Ecology, and today I'm visiting with Justin Wright from Duke University in Durham, North Carolina. Justin is the lead author on a paper titled, Does the Leaf Economic Spectrum Hold Within Local Species Pools Across Varying Environmental Conditions? Justin, first, congratulations on the paper, and second, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Good to be here. So it's a, it's a very interesting paper you've written, um, and, and let's begin uh, by you providing us some more general background on this concept of the global leak e leaf economic spectrum, um, and really the value of it and the need for testing these global relationships at more local scales. Sure. Well, the leaf economic spectrum is this um, series of relationships that uh, people have been looking at over the last decade or so, and what they've found is this really striking correlation between leaf level traits associated with construction cost of leaves. Um, so, for example, specific leaf area, which is how much area, how much um, area per unit mass a leaf has, um, leaf nitrogen, how much nitrogen it's investing in its leaf, and leaf lifespan, so how long a life, leaf lives, um, and some functional measures, in particular photosynthetic rates, so how much carbon a, a leaf can fix per, per unit time. And what they found is that, um, in general, across these very broad scales, we see a very tight relationship such that um, plants are basically making these choices in either investing a lot in a leaf, so um, having a thick, robust leaf with lots of nitrogen and a, and a fairly long lifespan, which tends to have a, a relatively um, low photosynthetic rate per unit time, or a cheap leaf that has a synthetic rate. And so that over all else being equal, over the lifetime of a leaf, the return on investment is, is relatively constant. Um, what's been really interesting about this is, is two features. First of all, this tight relationship seems to uh, reveal some basic evolutionary constraints that plants have when constructing leaves. Um, they can either make a, a cheap, fast leaf or an or a expensive, slow leaf, um, but they can't make a cheap uh, leaf that also ha also uh, lasts for a long time, and they wouldn't make a expensive leaf that lasts for a short time because a plant doing that would would be a, uh, under negative selective pressure. So over the evolutionary time, you'd see selection away from a leaf like that. Uh, and also from a practical standpoint, what's really nice about it is that it suggests that um, instead of measuring traits that are uh, challenging to measure, particularly in, under field conditions and require expensive machinery like uh, measuring gas exchange and photosynthetic rate, um, because those measure, functional measures are very tightly related with traits that are much easier to measure, we can get away with just measuring traits like specific leaf area um, and know quite a bit about the function of the plant. Now, most of the, the studies that have investigated this relationship have, have looked at a global scale, which is what makes them so exciting, but it's unclear that if we look at a much narrower slice of that global range, whether we're going to see these same tight relationships, particularly since we know each of these individual traits respond to environmental variation, and if different species show different responses to the environment and their traits, the relationship may not hold when we look at a, a narrower set of species. So you, you list a number of interesting hypotheses that you test in your paper about this relationship, this local scale relationship and the global economic spectrum predictions, and, and you chose uh, greater than 20 wetland species um, to test these hypotheses. Can you, can you elaborate on your rationale for why you selected wetland species? Sure. Well, it was um, largely just uh, 
a function of, of what we had on hand. We were, we, this was part of a larger project. We were looking at a field experiment in a restored wetland, trying to look at how plant traits affect ecosystem function. And we wanted a, a, field, a, a greenhouse component to actually measure these traits under a variety of conditions. So we picked the 10 odd species that we had in our experiment and we wanted to expand that species pool. And because we were interested in species that would potentially coexist, we picked 10 to 15 other wetland species. Um, and the other reason that we, we wanted to do this was a, a practical one. Um, these are all species that are, are used in restoration projects and recommended for restoration. So we thought that uh, somewhere down the line, this data set might be very useful to people doing restoration. Say they wanted to pick a, a species that's good at taking up nitrogen from, from groundwater. And if we found traits that were correlated with that, we could just say, oh, pick these species because these, they have a particularly high value for this important trait. So it was both largely practical, but I don't think that the, um, that the, the, the findings of our paper are restricted to only wetland plants. I think we would probably find similar patterns if we looked at prairie grasses or even trees if we could allow the experiment to run long enough. So can you, can, um, can you summarize your key findings for us in your conclusions? Um, and in particular, I always find it refreshing when an author um, indicates in their discussion that they were surprised by their results. So you know, give, us, give us a sense for what, what surprised you most, most about the results from the data you collected. Sure. Well, so just a little background. What we were doing was, was looking at three traits, specific leaf area, leaf nitrogen, and photosynthesis, and uh, growing the plants in the greenhouse in two different experiments. Um, one where we varied nitrogen availability and a second where we varied water table depth since those are two important environmental uh, gradients that we see in wetlands. And the results from the two experiments were, were pretty qualitatively similar. Um, so our first result um, was that species seem to vary a lot in their response to these environmental variables with their traits. Um, that wasn't too surprising. We know that some species are responsive to nitrogen and some species aren't, for example. But it does go against the null hypothesis that we had that for this strong global relationship, all species should be behaving similarly. Secondly, we were looking at um, to see whether traits were trait responses were predictable. So what we looked at was whether there were correlations between the mean value of traits across treatment. So in other words, does a species with a high SLA under high nitrogen also have a relatively high SLA over low nitrogen compared to the other species and vice versa? And when we were looking at single traits, we did find pretty tight correlations, which is nice. That, that suggests that individual traits probably are just sort of sliding along an axis as you move um, move from one environment to the next. However, the picture got a lot messier when we looked at all three traits at once and looked at how species moved in multivariate space instead of just moving along a single trait. Um, there, the species were much more variable in their responses. So that was the, the first bit of, uh, of surprise to us. Now, in a, if we were completely naive, it would have been entirely surprising. Um, we, we know species behave differently. But um, the, the most surprising thing we found is when we actually looked at the relationships predicted by the leaf economic spectrum. So in other words, do we see a relationship between photosynthetic rate and leaf nitrogen? We found very little support uh, for those relationships. Um, in fact, uh, basically we found that there was no relationship. And this was really the, the most surprising thing for us, that this pattern that is very strong when you look at the global scale seems to break down almost completely um, at the local scale. Um, and that, that was really surprising to us. Um, had a 
couple of thoughts, but, but really no um, slam dunk answer for why that is. One thing that we can say it's not due to is it's not the fact that this subset of wetland plants has a very restricted range of values for their traits. We were able to compare the range of SLA values in leaf nitrogen and photosynthesis um, that we found in our rather constrained data set to what you would see at the global scale and found that we had we were spanning quite a large range, so it's not that we had a restricted set of species that we were looking at. Hmm. So, so what's next for you? Does this study prompt additional research along these same lines, or where are you going in the trait-based um, ecology field? Well, uh, so there were a couple of couple of lines that, that we're sort of following up on. One was looking at um, how species respond to this. So we, we basically treated these as two independent experiments. But what's mm -hmm. interesting is to look at um, how species respond to, to both of these variables um, and looking at our species that are particularly plastic in response to nitrogen, also particularly plastic with respect to uh, water table depth. And it turns out that that's not the case. We have some species that are highly plastic in their leaf traits in response to nitrogen and not in response to water table depth. Um, so it's not even that maybe plasticity is a trait that we should be looking at, and some species are highly plastic and some species aren't, which um, is both interesting and a little frustrating. One of the reasons I got into this whole field of trait-based ecology was this, this idea that there's this holy grail out there where we just measure traits on species and we can predict everything about how they're going to interact with each other and how they're going to affect ecosystem function in a way that's simply not possible if we had to measure every single species. Um, but if, if these traits are really, um, if, if there's so much variability within the species, that, that suggests we have to go back to the drawing board and, and to build up these data sets that really incorporate a lot of measurement at the individual level rather than just uh, lumping that all together into a, a mean value. Uh, mm -hmm. And another area that, that we're really, we've got a great big project going on right now, um, at a local military installation in, in some longleaf pine e ecosystems where we're, we're using a lot of information about traits to predict how um, species are going to shift along hydrologic gradients in response to changes in prescribed burn regimes. So both, hmm. both from a, a really practical standpoint and also a much more basic ecology, how, how do we understand systems? I, I, there's a lot of work to be done in trait-based ecology. Well, Justin, it's been great talking to you. We'll look forward to the results of those studies, and uh, best of luck in your research. Thanks a lot, Alan. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.